right, everyone. We'd like to welcome a very special guest and a friend of the SCGAs, Mr. Jeff Shackelford. Thanks for joining, Jeff. Great to have you on. Absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, we're less than 24 hours removed from the conclusion of a, a thrilling Genesis Invitational at Riviera, where we saw LA's own uh, Max Homa outlast Tony Finau in a dramatic playoff. And Jeff, believe it or not, Max was actually the first ever guest on this podcast. Oh, nice, so there's some, Jonathan. There's Very, some there's some there's good. some good juju there. There's some good juju yeah, there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but seriously, it was awesome to see Max uh, so emotional. You know, it clearly meant a lot to him. Yeah, we rarely see that. Uh, well, I should say rarely, but we don't we don't see that kind of thing happen. And and it's such a Cinderella story that he wins the tournament that that kind of inspired him to become a pro golfer. And he shares all that, and he's not afraid to share that. I mean, some of them are so buttoned up these days. There, they don't want to give a little little sign of anything. And so having Max, it's always fun when somebody from Southern California has won the tournament. And I've been going long enough now to. Have seen it happen a few times, uh, but this was this was extra special because uh, you know he played well there last year, and he's been playing well on the on the West Coast swing, and uh, and as he explained, you know the, everything that that really meant something to his getting to this point in golf was uh, surrounding that tournament, either either Riviera or or the the Genesis. Uh, Invitational slash many other names from the past, and of course Tiger Woods, and uh, so that was uh, quite quite neat to see. And of course, uh, kind of sensational golf on the last day too by both he and Tony Finau, a 66 for for Max and a 64 for Tony. It's uh, awfully good good playing at Riviera. Yeah, it was pretty wild, and it was a shame that somebody had to lose there, but that's that's kind of how it goes. What were what were some of your other takeaways from the week? I know you were on site there. Did anything stand out to you other than, you know, obviously no fans and things being a little different COVID-wise? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's uh, it's a lot like a college tournament when you're out there. And, you, and you, so nothing against, say, Sam Burns, but you do wonder if a player hasn't been in contention much, uh, if there's a difference and, and it, it's easier for them, and I, I, th- I think it is. But as you saw, of course, on the the back nine, the the pressure did get to him, and the, the the sense of what was going on. You know, you have the blimp still over overhead, and you still have um, people fussing around with cameras and moving around and and trying to get in position. So there is a sense that that the tournament is is on the line, but it's definitely just it's just not even close to the same when there are no people there, and and uh, and obviously it's just not as fun to to go so i i hope this is just a a one-time thing because uh and naturally of course it happened to be the the week we get just for uh beautiful days of course play stopped um uh so we did have that on saturday um which was you know unfortunate and really a product of greens modern greens being too fast uh when it gets windy and uh that's just where we're at in the game and and it's uh, un- uh unfortunate i've i've been at the last two one was at st andrews and one was at riviera and otherwise you know tough days for golf but nice days and that was uh that was certainly unusual to see and of course sunday they didn't mow the greens or roll them and they were probably a, a foot slower and you saw the scoring and you saw the pace of play i don't know if you know so they just they just uh played a lovely clip and it just shows you um really to me at least shows me the kind of the ridiculousness of pursuing these absurd green speeds they don't they don't uh, 
they don't do a lot for the game, uh, and they kind of uh, um, deaden some of the the skill factor of actually having to stroke a putt as well. So it's uh, right. It was good they finished on time, and uh, and it was a great great day Sunday. So that's what we're most grateful for. Yeah, we'll we'll get into that a little later. I got a couple questions for you, but in the meantime, is is the infrastructure sort of the only thing holding back Riviera from hosting major championships? I mean, anybody that's been there understands the parking and hospitality limitations, uh, but the course is just so damn good. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, that said, you know, LA Country Club has um, a lot of things going for it right now, but it also has some things uh, like any venue that, that uh, limit what these organizations can do. I guess just so much of it is um, really what it really has nothing to do with the, the actual golf, which is the sad part. Uh, it is about infrastructure right. and space and corporate tents, and it's just it's it's a little depressing how many times venues are are picked based on on tent space. And and I think going forward, you know, that's going to be a big change for golf in the next five to ten years. And I don't know how it's going to go, but there's going to have to be a reimagining of of what we want from a tournament venue and how many people we want there and, and what are the important things. And, you know, maybe there are ways to do the whole corporate thing differently where the, the revenues for the nonprofit organizations are the same, but the experience is uh, something that requires less uh, space and all the stuff that goes with, you know, uh, uh, having a corporate tent and, and hospitality and food and um, because it is – disappointing when a when a place like Riviera is ruled out for that reason. That said, we get to see it every year in the Genesis, which is now one of the, you know, really top three tour events that's not a major championship based on field and ratings and, and, and pre-tournament excitement. Um, and uh, Riviera will host two events in 2028 with, uh, as far as I know, unless something changes, the Genesis and then the Olympic golf. So it's it's definitely... Uh, still very much a, a big part of the game in that sense, and, and uh, I think that's a good thing. Yeah, that's fair. And, uh, you know, I think the Riv certainly certainly gets its due, and all those players just absolutely love it. So uh, just, just changing gears here, though, uh, there was big news in the association world uh, this past week when the USGA announced Mike Wan as their new CEO. Uh, he abruptly left his post as commissioner of the LPGA in January, which – now makes sense as to his intentions. What are your initial thoughts on the hire? Well, in terms of uh, initially, I, I, the reaction kind of speaks for itself. He's well-liked. He brings a lot of uh, energy. He brings a different uh, style than the USGA's ever had for somebody leading it and immediately sort of changes certain perceptions uh, of them just by hiring him, and I think that was the prime uh, reason for doing so that that he's somebody who uh, you know he had a, he had the longest run ever at the LPGA. He did all he could do, I think, there, and uh, it was probably time for something a new challenge. Uh, obviously, my interest in the distance issue uh, is one that that makes me a little concerned because Mike comes from a, an equipment company background. But um, and I haven't read all of his comments yet because we had the Genesis last week, um, and he had a lot of comments. He gave a very long um, uh, press conference call, but he seems to be in line with where the USGA and RNA are trying to go, and I'm encouraged by that. Um, and maybe he's the perfect person to sort of bridge 
the equipment companies and uh, the, the governing bodies and try to figure out what's best for the game and the skill factor. And, and uh, because right now the companies are are uh, they're really kind of stubborn about what they do and what they sell and how they sell it, and they don't really seem too open to uh, possibilities. You know, a few years ago we had spring-like effect, and we had uh, the USGA budge on adjustability, and that was a really good thing for the manufacturers, and they're not even at that point of kind of being open to that kind of thing again. So maybe Mike Wan's the the guy who can uh, make that difference and, and kind of get past this, because I, I think it's pretty clear um, we don't really want to see the game going where it's going, where it's just kind of all about bombing a drive and, and uh, putting. And that's uh, boring right. to watch. And, and it, if you read the L.A. Times today, there's a great story on baseball, and you read it and what they're doing with their ball, and, it, and you, you could just fill in the blanks. It's The parallels with golf are, are really fascinating. Yeah, 100%. And that's a, that's a great bridge to our next topic here. You know, a few weeks ago, uh, one of the more complicated issues in golf magically reoccurred uh, with this distance report, I guess the second iteration of it. What exactly happened when the USGA and RNA released their findings? Well, what happened, uh, well, we had we had some complaining from manufacturers. We had a few players complain, generally kind of uh, parroting their, their company's positions. Uh, but that was really about it. I think um, most people were pleased to see um, a little stronger position taken. They made very clear they've they've kind of made up their mind that that something has to be done. Now, what is it? We're putting it out there on the table for you all to comment on. That was kind of the approach, and mm-hmm. I liked that. They the, the thing that that struck me as surprising and bold was uh, the idea that. They put everything on the table, Jonathan. They didn't just go uh, kind of ball aerodynamics and driver face, which were the things that were sort of hinted at in their their previous report. Uh, they put everything on the table, from grooves to the head uh, size of the driver, and on and on. And uh, that was that was kind of a uh, a sign that they're they're getting a little bit tougher because that basically just sends all the the, the, the companies on a on a chase to write papers and justify their positions on a lot of different things. And uh, I think it showed a sign they were a little fed up with maybe a lack of, of cooperation. So we're still several years away from anything happening. Um, you know, the one thing that Mike, back to Mike Wan, that he said in his initial comments that nobody at the governing bodies has been able to say for years, and he just whittled it down to a very simple thing that, that, that you need to, to repeat to people who think they're going to, suddenly lose 30 yards um you know there, there's a there is a difference between what what most of us get from equipment and what the pros get and exactly uh, they just have to make sure that 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 divide hasn't gotten carried away it has i mean it has we 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 can see the things that are going on in pro golf and they get exponentially more benefits from the equipment and um and that's not really great for for them for their game the way it's played it's not really great for the sport, and um, but you know that they need to make that point more that uh, this is not going to affect you if they do it right. Now they could mess it up and do it wrong, but I think they know how to do it in a way where most of us would not be uh, impacted at all. Yeah, totally. And to that point, you know, do you think we'll ever see the bifurcation? In other words, a professional ball indoor set of clubs and then a separate uh, amateur set or a regular set quote-unquote 
I think it's possible. I think they'd like to avoid that, um, but they've certainly put that out there with the concept of a local rule. You know, and this gets to that same discussion. Will will they be able to just say, hey, look, if we do this with the face and we take 15 dimples off the ball, that's going to make it a little harder for for the DeChambeau uh, style, the bomb and gouge style, to tee it up at four inches. And by the way, if they reduce the tee to three inches, that would make a difference too. But um, it, 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 it's a way for them, if they can do it properly, um, they don't have to bifurcate. But I have a feeling the way things are going and what you see in the reports is that um, they are getting the sense uh, that there's not a lot of wiggle room from the manufacturers, so they're going to they're gonna be a little bit tougher uh, on this topic. And we may end up having to bifurcate if, if, the, if the two sides can't find a way that addresses the problem without, um, without uh, you know, really – going down the path of two sets of equipment rules. Right. And, you know, do you think the manufacturers uh, push back on these potential equipment drawbacks? Uh, you know, after all, they are publicly traded companies, uh, so it's safe to say they might not have the betterment of the game top of mind, rather they're, they're stockholders as any other major corporation. Is that is that an issue? It is, um, but there's also an issue, which is I think the most fascinating thing since I've been kind of um, – a borderline obsessed with this topic for 20 years is that, um, you know, 15 years ago, uh, I'd get a certain kind of response. And the most interesting response I got this time to the report um, from golfers, you know, there are a lot of golfers who are in business and they uh, enjoy, uh, <laughs> they enjoy this story as a business story as much as a golf story. And their question that I got, I got this a lot in the last, the last 10 days or so is, uh, kind of the opposite of your question is, is there a point where they're being stubborn, the, the companies, and not open-minded, um, leads to a point where they're actually not doing the right thing for their shareholders, not doing the right thing for their company um, by having a more open mind and maybe uh, creating a path to to non-conforming beginner equipment that would be uh, great for some sales and great for the game, or um, or are they going to be so stubborn that they back themselves into a corner and actually make the situation worse for them as companies selling a product? And it's fascinating to get people now seeing the, the issue uh, and seeing that stubbornness and and wondering if they're actually not doing the right thing for their for their company. So it's a it's a it's a tricky thing for the manufacturers, but I think what they've shown is that they're just very stubborn about trying to sell everybody the same stuff the pros play. And, um, you know, I just don't know if that, that mentality at this point is, is, uh, carries the same weight that it did maybe 10, 15 years ago. Yeah, totally. And a lot of that falls on the marketing and all that messaging. Um, but, you know, I do know a, a few tour players have shared their thoughts about this topic recently and, Suggests that it's not the equipment that's the problem, but potentially the modern golf course design. So I believe, uh, uh, yeah. yeah, I believe it was Webb Simpson <laughs> that suggested uh, more dog legs, higher rough, smaller greens. You know, all things that would obviously benefit Webb uh, and his game. But yeah. I digress. You know, with your design background, what's what's your opinion on that? Yeah, that's um, that's something we've we've heard and addressed. You know, I'm consulting with Gil Hans at 
L.A. North for the U.S. Open, and we just moved to Bunker for the second time um, in 10 years uh, or 11 years. Um, it's not easy to do, and it costs money, and it changes the design for the people who play there um, the rest of the time, you know, and that's just gone on. It's so many courses, and so much money has been spent, and more time added to the rounds. You know, I read a piece today about Riviera. I see that if you if you just have it firm and you do this and that, it it can defend itself just fine. Well, the piece left out. They've added about 400 yards of of distance, and the greens were 13, uh, and they had to stop play because of that. They were probably 12 on. Sunday's final round, and they played in the uh, maybe as fast as I've seen the threesomes there play, and the scoring was way better, you know, just taking a foot off the greens. So all those defenses that are are pressures placed on courses, and that's what the USGA and the RNA are trying to get away from is this idea that it's the course's job to um, sort of defend uh, and and and. <laughs> protect certain uh norms in the game and it's just it's a pressure the courses can't bear and pro golfers just uh, seem to think it's everybody else's job and and they you know if you took the money out of their their pension they might uh to pay for these changes they might they might change their mind but they're pretty stubborn on this topic and uh, and and generally pretty selfish the irony of course jonathan is that the two greatest players of all time in our lifetime, at least, and and uh, actually you can throw in Bobby Jones too, uh, in a previous generation. Uh, all have been in favor of of something done, uh, equipment-wise and skill-wise, and and Jack Nicklaus started this in his prime, saying that Bobby Jones in his prime, and Tiger Woods later in his career, but. Um, but even they get kind of mocked for having that 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 point of view, which tells you how the 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 debate goes when when three of the greatest kind of get get uh, get mocked for their stance. Sure. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And we'll uh, we'll put this topic to bed with you here with one final question. You know, the the average handicap of an SCGA member is around 15. So, will any of this ever impact those mid to high amateur? mid to high handicap amateur golfers or as you said you know most of this added distance is at a certain swing speed and above so will will any of this actually affect the average golfer it just depends on how they go about it i don't i don't see that happening um but it, it, i mean they could do something with with the uh, the changes that that does impact that golfer but nothing i've seen so far indicates that and everything that they've put out in terms of asking for input um suggests that they're 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 looking to avoid that and i and i say looking to avoid i i i i don't even that makes it almost sound extreme or or um like they're tiptoeing i think it's just a simple fact we know that certain club head speeds are going to get certain benefits uh from from this equipment and uh certain ones may not get much and if they do get impacted it's going to be so small and in theory uh depending on what is uh approached is whether it's the ball or the driver uh everybody in your group would be impacted too but i i just don't think that's going to happen yeah i I would probably tend to agree with you so we're going to put that we're going to put that subject to rest and we will uh, check back in on you next time they uh they drop some distance report for us 
It, uh, absolutely. My pleasure. I've been talking about it for 20-some-odd years, so what's another couple of years talking about it? I, I'm fascinated by the topic, and as you know, it, it's a big it, it puts a big burden on golf architects. And, and the irony, by the way, Jonathan, is that golf architects could could be pro-distance because they'd make more money changing courses. But all but three have come out against uh, the game continuing to expand. Because it is, let me tell you, it is just such a headache when you're trying to design a hole or uh, or figure out a safety issue or all the other things that come with it. It's 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 the least enjoyable part of designing courses and it's uh you don't want your architects spending your, their time on that you want them spending time on creating interesting golf holes totally agree and that's a, another great bridge here so we mentioned your chops as a designer and you just mentioned mr hans you teamed up with him to design a fan favorite of the scgas and and me specifically uh rustic canyon you designed that back in 2003 one of the more unique experiences in all of southern california if you ask me um in fact i just played there yesterday, battled the winds as usual. But uh, what, are you, what are you most proud of? They were of? open what are yesterday. Most... Wow, that's impressive because I had a they, were open. they might be closed. <laughs> yep, they were open, uh, unfortunately, for our scorecards. So, you know, what are you most proud of when you think of that project? Uh, well, we we uh, got away with a lot. Uh, I'll put it that way in terms of – and I say got away, not, not on the um, – on the on the regulatory side, um, we did have a lot of battles trying to get it built and convincing people that we were not moving much dirt and they were trying to leave the existing plant material. And, you know, the other courses built around that time were not doing that. So we, we faced a lot of skepticism. But um, so I'm proud of the fact that we were able to convince people of what we would do and in that sense and, and, and um, keeping the, the, the natural uh, feeling of the place and the natural plant material and using what was there. I mean, we moved maybe 17,000 cubic yards of dirt, which is just literally almost nothing. It's the eighth green and the 12th green, and that's about it. Um, so, uh, but but ultimately, I'm just proud of the fact that we kind of, and I say, got away with things that aren't normal anymore in golf architecture. A few very close green to tee walks and um, little pot bunkers and wide fairways and uh, a lot of things that people just think are, are kind of strange, and especially at the time were still considered strange, and more people have really come to embrace that and em- embrace the fact that, that, that we tried to make it fun. Obviously, it's not as fun on a Santa Ana wind day, um, but uh, we really didn't design for that because there's, there's most days it's a sea breeze, uh, but it's pretty neat to hear how much people – uh, continue to enjoy the course and 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 find it uh, enjoyable to play, and also uh, find it it'll be a good test of skill. Yeah, it really is full package there. It's the uh, you know the experience and the walk, but also you know it, it's definitely testing your golf game. So anybody that hasn't gone up to Moore Park and check out Rustic Canyon, do so. Um, and Jeff, honestly, that's it for me. This is uh, just a terrific chat. So thanks so much for joining, and uh, we'll be sure to have you on again. Okay, Jonathan, anytime. All right, take care. We'll see you around. All right. Take care.